Hello Sharks. We're here looking for $250 million for 1% of America's wettest podcast, The Pod People. I'm the mayor of Fun Island, Matisse Van Rossum. I'm Ben Chompenheimer Sheets. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> and where's Cleveland? That's right. He still has the coronavirus. He got eaten. He got eaten by the the Meg that is COVID-19. Which, you know, I mean, I think in this case it's appropriate because on our episode about the original Meg... Five years ago, <laughs> it was just you and me. Yeah. So now we're back for our review of uh, Ben Wheatley's <laughs> The Meg 2, <laughs> The Trench. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't even know if Cleve's seen the original. Uh, a few weeks ago, I asked him if he wanted to rewatch it or if he wanted to watch it in preparation for this. He's like, I tried watching the first half of it the other night and I turned it off and I was like... Come on, man. Okay, but so. but you know what? But you know what? I I did rewatch the first one last night in preparation for this, and um, I mean we weren't like super hot on it, but like it has it did even less for me on rewatch. Yeah. I think it's the kind of film that is, and, and I think this one fo- is going to follow in its footsteps in a lot of ways. That is like mildly entertaining on a big screen in a theater where you can't pick up your phone. <laughs> it takes a little too long to get to the fun. Yes. Quite literally in this movie. Yes. They they take way too long to get to Fun Island. To get to Fun Island. You know, before we get into it too far, I have to say, like, I was trying to track the chronology and the lore throughout this movie because, like, I, I don't really understand how they go from Meg 2 to Mithrigan? Yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Where was the shark in Mithrigan? <laughs> well, they do introduce robots, you know? they Like mech suits and stuff. Yeah, so robots like, and okay, mech suits. Maybe they'll, they'll connect the dots there, but... Not enough connection. We do need to, we need like a, you know, an, an AVP style crossover film where, <laughs> where Mithrigan fights the Meg. They can just call it Mithrig. <laughs> um, the tranche. The, the, the tranche. Man, what does, what does Hollywood, what dirt does Hollywood have on Ben Wheatley? That they got that they got him attached to this movie. I mean, I was saying it at the end of the movie, and I kind of believe it that like they probably came to Ben Wheatley with this movie like completely prevised and like eighty percent done, and were like direct a little bit of English. Yeah, man, it's it's so confusing. I mean, we've been talking about it. You know, it's been a running joke for forever, basically, since this movie was announced. But, like, you know, the first Meg was directed by John Turtletob, who, you know, his biggest claim to fame was fucking Cool Runnings back in the 90s. Uh, National Treasure. He only produced National Treasure. I'm pretty sure. Man, this is wrong. John Turtletob did direct National Treasure, a film Madis has never seen. What the fuck does he know anyway? Maybe yeah. he directed it. I'm know. not sure. I was looking at his IMDb last last night, and his first his first like 
credit on IMDb as fucking cool <laughs> runnings. I mean, um, a classic. Yeah, right. But it's like somebody like somebody like John Turtletob is like that's who I would expect to be directing these movies, right? Yeah. But then it's like why why Ben Wheatley of you all know, people? I mean, I wonder too, you know, we were talking about it after the movie about like how it felt very focus tested. Yeah. Do you think they came to him as sort of like post-production doctor to be like oh fix this yeah maybe i i mean enough to get a credit i think i i think you're right that like they must have come to him with this previs or something because like there's like none of his style on this movie at all like no no it does not feel like a ben wheatley movie right and but you know like i noticed that that they give him that that he's credited twice in the in the closing credits. It first shows you know the the first cut to credits directed by Ben Wheatley. It shows a bunch of others, and then it has another one, a Ben Wheatley film. Yeah. It's like why would like why would you want to throw your name up there a second time? Be like, yeah, this is mine. This is my film. <laughs> like, what's going on, man? Because like. This I, was not a good movie. I mean, oh. I I think it I think it has an appropriate subtitle, The Trench, because this is a low point of Ben Wheatley's career, <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. It's like, I, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So like, his his last movie, which we talked about two years ago, was In the Earth, which was a super like small creative folk sci fi horror that he shot during COVID that was my favorite film of the year. Oh, and yeah, I mean, an amazing movie. Just, like, a fantastic little weird, creepy indie hit. Then for him to come back two years later with this. It's just, like, I just don't understand it. <laughs> it doesn't... It And, and you know, I was, I was hoping all of this time, it's like, okay, well, Ben Wheatley is the strangest choice to direct this movie, but... Maybe that means it'll be good, you know? Maybe it'll be, like, a weird, like, auteur sort of take on this big, dumb uh, shark movie, this big, dumb CG shark movie. But it wasn't. It was just your, like, it was it was your your typical sequel, the exact same thing again, but more. I feel like we're almost talking about two different movies within this movie, because the first half of it, is, like, they're trying to do, like, The Abyss or, like, Jaws. And it's just underlit and boring as hell. And it falls flat completely. And then the second half, they're trying to do, like, Jurassic World or, like, Piranha. And and it's more fun. That's pretty fun. I enjoyed that part. Well, and that the thing about that is, too, is that is the exact beat-for-beat approach to the first one, too, where the whole first half is really slow build-up, introducing all of these lame characters, doing all of this, like, really slow, boring shit at the bottom of the ocean, you know, like you said, trying to be the abyss, doing some Jaws kind of stuff, then they get back up to the surface, and then the shark goes on a rampage, you know, off of a, a really 
populated beach, and Jason Statham does some, like, cool stunts in a little submarine. Yeah. And it's like, that's... They just did it again. Yeah. But messier somehow. Yeah. And, like, throwing uh, more, like, you know, doing the sequel thing, just doing more. Yeah, and, like, I'm okay with more. I'm okay with going bigger, louder, dumber. The problem is, like, you have to bigger, make some... louder, dumber is, like, exclusively in the second half. Yeah, but also I think you have to make some decisions, too. Like, the the second half is definitely more fun but there's also so much going on there's they're like trying to juggle too many things at once and i feel like that that sort of like makes it all less than the sum of its parts kind of see i don't know man i at the same time i kind of like that because i don't give a shit about any of these characters oh i certainly don't either they are all one-dimensional the cardboard cutout characters. Draped in plot armor. Yeah. To the point of really sort of making the film devoid of any real tension. Yeah. Because we know our main characters aren't going to be hurt. And, like, in this movie in particular, it seems like they don't even want you to feel for more than two seconds like one of our main characters might be killed. Because, like, they really just, like... Anytime something seems like it might be dire for one of the characters, they immediately figure a way to get themselves out of it, either through their own savvy or through some deus ex machina, where it's just like, there never feels like a sense of danger. No, and it's funny, the villains of this movie almost have the opposite of plot armor. They are so easily taken out. We, yeah. We even get one of them getting taken out in the trailer of this movie. Yeah. Um, which is... Uh, wait, well, it's a fun moment. It's a fun moment. It's but... it's probably the best single moment of the film. And we can talk about that later. But, like, the trailer did really show all of the good parts, didn't it? And I was yeah. a little bit afraid of that. But if you've seen the trailer for this movie, then you've seen all the best parts of it in, you know, one uh, hundredth of the of the runtime. Yeah, and like I think that trailer is great, but it's not very representative of the actual movie. Uh, no, even though it has the best parts of the movie. Like, I feel like if the movie was cut like the trailer, it would have been ten times better. Yeah. Um, and and you know what? They did. They fucking got me with the trailer, too. I, I saw the trailer, and I was like, yes, yes, we're back. Fuck yeah. Ben Wheatley's The Meg, too. The Trench. This is going to be great. Yeah. And I let myself get swept up in that. And then, like, as the movie was starting, I kind of had this sinking feeling like, I let myself get excited for no reason. I mean, the opening scene, I was still kind of hopeful because you get that fun 65 million year flashback. <laughs> yes. I mean, obviously they show that in the trailer, but like you have like dinos running around and then a big T-Rex comes out. 
and starts eating the little ones. It's your typical it's your typical food chain thing, right? It starts yeah. with like a little fly that gets eaten by a dragonfly, and then the dragonfly gets eaten by a lizard, which then gets eaten by a bigger lizard, which then gets eaten by a T Rex, which then gets eaten by a Meg. And then it just is like present day. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Okay, I guess. See, that's awesome. It's like... it's fun. It's fun, yeah. I I I kinda I dug that. I thought that was a fun cheeky little intro and you know then i just i stopped caring pretty quickly you know jason statham is great like he is he is a fun action hero but i feel like he is uh we were just talking about liam neeson uh on the way back because uh, we saw a trailer for his his next um uh taken like uh, retribution. retribution and you know talking about how liam neeson for like the last 10 years has basically done the exact same movie over and over again with different titles and i feel like jason statham is kind of the same like i do i do like i will always have a soft spot for jason statham for the crank movies especially his early stuff with guy ritchie but I, I feel like he does kind of have that Liam Neeson syndrome where yeah, I mean, it's like he just plays the same tough, cheeky, like, British badass in every movie. Well, that's the thing. I feel like you, you have to write a good role for him because I feel like Statham has a lot of natural charisma. Yeah, and he's letting, charming. letting that shine is a great way to make a good film better. However, if you're giving him a lot of exposition and kind of dry dialogue, he kind of falls flat. You got to give him, like, I hate to say it, but you got to give him a sort of quippiness for his acting style to work. Yeah, I mean, And that's he's... why I think it works in Guy Ritchie stuff. I think that's why it works in Crank stuff. I think another I think another thing is that like he really is like an action star, I oh, think. Yeah. You know, he's a very physical actor, um and and he does, you know, fight scenes and stuff well. And these movies I was seeing the same thing when I was rewatching the first one last night. I was like, these movies are not really action movies, right? Like this one more so than the than the than the first one, but these are really like adventure movies, sure. right? You know, where they're put up against a threat that they can't that they can't punch their way to victory against. <laughs> and I think that that's kind of like sort of handicapping Jason Statham as an actor a little yeah. bit. Like it's 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 there, you know, it, it comes through here and there. And like again, the last 30 minutes of the first one, especially the part at the very end where he's like where he is doing the stunts in the little submarine and like he uses like its broken propeller to like cut the mag like from nose to tail like that stuff is fun yeah and that's that's the stuff where he's where he's really great the, the best stuff again in this movie is in that last 30 minutes when he's zipping around on the jet ski but i mean it starts strong with statham too because like right after they cut from prehistoric to present day yep i was just about to get into on that. like this uh cargo ship he cuts his way at, or blows his way out of the shipping container ends up being like three stories up yeah somehow he gets to the ground and starts taking people out because they're 
throwing toxic waste barrels over he's, the ship. He's gone from being a rescue diver to being like an eco warrior, <laughs> um, uh, l- sort of vigilante. Yeah. Uh, where you know he's he's smuggled himself aboard this ship to get uh, photographs and evidence and stuff that these. Uh, just uh cartoon character brits are dumping radioactive waste into the ocean why i don't know but they're doing it and they're bad (laughs) and and so yeah like that introduction to him is like we do get like some good sort of classic statham like punching and kicking jumping sliding action and like yeah that that stuff was fun gets really boring for a long time after that I mean, though we even get quippiness there like he's he's chased up onto the top of like some cargo containers and surrounded by like five guys and he's like i have the proof to show you and he pulls out and gives them the double bird yeah he says uh he he puts them all he says they're all under arrest and they're like oh there's eight of us and one of you he's like oh you want to see the warrant don't you digs around his pocket pulls out the middle (laughs) finger and then just like falls backwards off of the ship into the water before his friends come along with a giant plane painted like a shark that has an open hatch on the front that they scoop him up out of the water with. I mean, come on, that's awesome. That was, yeah, that was pretty awesome. And, you know, at that point I'm still like, okay, cool. And it's like, okay, we've got, we've got to bring our characters back from the first one. Like his, his friends like Mac and DJ. And it's like, oh, we've got the little girl who is the daughter of the love interest, who is now dead in this one. Um, we saw at, at one point, like, uh, at, at, like, the, like, fundraising event or whatever, they, like, put her picture up on the screen, and it's, like, 1980-something to 2021. And I was just like, oh, Ben Wheatley's career. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, like... I could, but... <laughs> that, that gala event was the first moment... Yes. In the movie where I could tell that something was very wrong. Because, like, I don't think I've seen a movie in the last decade that's been so aggressively ADR'd. Like, this movie straight up feels like it was shot with multiple languages in mind. Like, they shot it with plans to completely dub it into mandarin or cantonese um which i mean they probably did just like the first one this is like a joint american chinese production there were a number of chinese studios but the amount of shots where people are talking from afar or off screen or where you can't see their mouths is like staggering yeah it's crazy well that's also why i feel like the movie was fucking focus tested to death because like why else would you have so much fucking ADR than, like, people being like, oh, this doesn't make sense, which I I buy because there's a lot of stuff in the movie that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. I was like, I don't get this. Like, and so they're like, okay, we'll fucking get Jason into the studio to ADR, like, a couple of pickup lines that, you know, we'll, we'll have him 
off camera saying or whatever. Uh, it looks like audiences are getting bored. Let's get the black guy to say something funny. Yeah, off let's screen. let's let's shove in some more like not funny quips yeah. off screen. The first half of this movie is fucking boring as shit. It is, and like I struggled with the first half because like when they're underwater going into the trench and stuff, everything is just so underlit. Like, it's so dark and so kind of one note. Well, okay, so it's it's in a trench at the bottom of the ocean. It should be dark. It should It should really be pitch black. And I think what they fuck up and what makes it feel underlit is because it's not just pitch black, which sounds a little bit weird, but, like, the fact that there's, like, bioluminescent, like, coral and stuff, where there's, like, sort of ambient light sources, but not enough to really make anything out, so, like, what's the point of having them in the first place? The whole, like, that whole part where they're underwater, like, in the trench, just threw into such stark contrast a movie, like, underwater... Yeah. Which we didn't have when the first Meg came out. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have to make the comparison to. And man, having a movie like that, which is like a B-monster movie. Sure, but it's also like a master class in like lighting. Well, yeah, it's I mean, it's how it's how you should do a mid-budget B-monster movie. Yeah. Not absolutely. like this. And and like that the part where they are like walking across like the bottom of the ocean like 8 miles below the surface and it's just like pitch black and they have like the little lights like around their helmet like that part is like so creepy and tense yeah. and it feels like an alien world and like in this movie it just feels like they're walking around against a green screen which they were yeah. you know um, that's another thing, it, and the first movie has the same problem, and we probably talked about it then, but just, like, there is nary a fucking practical to be found in this movie. It's just, like, so CG, and... I, I gotta say, it kind of looked like shit, too. Like, I think, honestly, the the sharks in darkness, in the trench looked worse than they did in the colorful fun island section well yeah because the the again like the lighting in the trench is just like so weird and inconsistent it yeah yeah i i don't know it's not it's not a very good looking movie just in general yeah the underwater stuff was just boring i just didn't care they and 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 you know again like there's too much going on. They add this whole, I think, pretty unnecessary B plot about like this rogue mining operation that has set up like their own secret yeah. base in the trench and is like mining rare, quote unquote, rare earth metals to use in like computer chips and microprocessors. And we find out that that's run. Or that's funded by the same, like, evil billionaire lady who is funding, like, the Research Institute. Yeah. And it's just, like, th- that whole thing just, like, 
does it feels so inconsequential to the plot and ultimately it just like adds a bunch of dudes with guns running around on on fun island in the second half which it just it's it's a hat it's a fucking hat on a hat it felt a little too disconnected from the a plot too i would have loved to see it be more of a like a PyCon situation sure where if like... that was the a plot then that would be one thing yeah yeah if they were like pulling a PyCon and like uh farming megs to get their life essences yeah to get their their fucking oils or to get like cut off they cut off their fins to make giant shark fin soup or something you know (laughs) like something like that it would be cliche in a different way but like yeah where they have to team up with the megs at the end to you know uh to fight off these like these nasty poachers you know but it's it is never that what ends up happening is that like one of the bad guys sets off a bunch of explosives and it creates a hole in the the thermocline the like the super frozen layer of water or whatever that keeps like the trench separated from the rest of the ocean so that's how the megs escape i also just like dumb fucking visuals that when they like blow a hole in like the thermocline or whatever it's just like a big like glowing blue portal in the ocean it's like why does it look like that it's not it's not the breach from pacific rim right (laughs) and and then the movie just becomes uh uh-oh the megs are out in the ocean and they're they pose a danger to uh you know coastal cities and stuff and 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 we got an island yeah particular just like a resort spot which somehow also has like prehistoric little dinosaurs on it too okay let's let's fucking talk about them <laughs> that was one of my least favorite things in the movie that i found so incredibly frustrating and continually immersion breaking in a movie that was already not doing a great job of suspending my disbelief so in the at the the sort of prologue the 65 million years ago prologue we see these like big lizards they're like prehistoric komodo dragons basically yeah. and you know and the t-rex is chasing them around and they hop into the water and they're swimming and stuff and you know that's why the t-rex is in the water so the meg can grab it mm-hmm. fine cool in that setting it makes perfect sense that they're there wouldn't think anything of it. But then they show up in the trench, underwater. Like, we saw that they could swim, but how are they fully aquatic? At the bot- How did they get down there in the first place? They look exactly the same. They're evolutionarily unchanged. They still have legs... Yeah, and they run around on land. Well, yeah, and that I guess they escaped, too. I don't think they're in... I, I don't think it would, they were trying to say that those... Dinos, those little dinos were just indigenous to that island. Like, see, that was what I was kind of hoping for. Like, that's some. That's some even of that, like, that would dumb be even camp shit that would be even like, fucking dumber. I, well, I exactly. I I'm looking for stuff that's as dumb as possible. Just don't let me be bored. Yeah, like, that's well, the biggest sin of this movie is like too too often I was just 
bored. I mean, yeah, I was too. I and and don't get me wrong, I I don't I don't want to ask too much from the big shark movie. <laughs> but man, the little dinos, that just it didn't make any sense it to me. It felt like it, they they saw Jurassic World and how yeah. successful it was and what's like how can we do that? Well, it was in like our shark. Movie. It was like, well, they they knew this. Like, okay, we need to ha- like we're we're gonna have a big chunk of the climax of this movie take place like on land for at least like half of our characters, right? So there needs to be a threat to those characters because if they're on land, they're safe from the shark, right? So like, well, what if what if little dinosaurs? Well, it's okay. Well, how do we get the little dinosaurs onto the island? Well, what if the little dinosaurs have been living underwater for sixty-five million years in this <laughs> trench with the sharks, and that when the sharks escape, so do the little dinos, and they can just like seamlessly adapt to being <laughs> fully terrestrial once again. Um, <laughs> That's yeah, that's, that's like a pretty big. That's like the stretch. yeah. That's the train of logic, and it's just like again, I can't ask too much from a movie like this, but it just it was just so it's just so stupid. It's extremely stupid. I will say some of the action sequences with those little dinos are fun. Yeah. Like yeah, like when they when they drag away like the billionaire lady out of the helicopter later, like yeah. that stuff is fun. Like they're they're fun little critters. Like I just don't I don't feel like they make sense in the context of this film though. Yeah. It's just again, it just it takes me out of it. I mean, you're running into a problem in general having like the most fun section of your shark movie be on land. Yeah. Like- you need to be closer to the water in yeah. a shark movie. Yeah, well and and like it really feels like the Megs are just kind of secondary to everything. Like I feel like they get maybe the least featured like threats in the movie. Yeah. Cuz you've got like you've got like the mercenaries, you've got the little dinos, a giant octopus comes up from from the the trench too yeah. and is like grabbing people. That and was fun. that which which is fun, you know, I I always like I always like a big cephalopod, but it's just like there's there's so much stuff to keep track of in that last half where you're just bouncing back and forth between the dinos, between the mercenaries, between the sharks, between the octopus and just like all and all trying to track all of these characters and stuff too. And it's like I, I just like I'm not I don't have a problem with like bigger and dumber for that stuff, but I was I was almost wishing for a little bit more focus. It dulls the impact of the yeah. Megs, for sure. Yeah, I well, think... and, and there's three of them in this one, and one of them's even bigger than any of the other ones we've ever yeah. seen. Well, but and in what is the, the... the deep trench section, they introduce one that's, like, super huge, like, bigger than they've ever seen before. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong, that one doesn't show up yeah it does it's it's the it's the one with the big scar on its face is that the one he stabs through yeah okay because like when they introduce it underwater it 
seems like it's so much bigger. Yeah, they have some problems with scale, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, because it's introduced, they're, like, in these little submarines, and it's dark, and, like, it comes right up out of the darkness at them, so, like, it seems really huge. But then, later in the action scene, when you've got all these wide shots, and all these boats, and islands, and, like, platforms and stuff, and you got the octopus, and it's just, like, you got all the sharks, and, yeah, it, it's it's hard to get, like a really good defined sense of scale. Yeah, like, they, it didn't feel like the the big one was, like, that much bigger than any of the other ones no, that we've and seen. like, they kind of make all of the Megs in general feel kind of small. Yeah. With the giant octopus. When the giant octopus can, like, wrap one of its tentacles around a Meg completely and, like, basically suffocate it. Yeah. Like... Your threat scale is all fucked up. And, you know, to to the first film's credit, I think one of the more effective parts of that movie is, like, when they spend all this time, like, on the boat after they've gotten out of the trench and they're, like, trying to figure out how to, like, inject the Meg with the poison or whatever. And they have the whole thing with, like, Jason Statham in the water and, like, towing him behind the boat. And they finally, like, kill the Meg and they pull it up on the ship and they're, like, taking pictures and laughing. And then just, like, an even bigger Meg just jumps out of the water and chomps the dead one (laughs) and, like, capsizes the ship. Like, I feel like that movie does, oh, but wait, there's a bigger one, like, so much better where it's like we see it jump out of the water and eat the other one it's like like oh yeah it's better understanding of scale yeah i mean it like in the in later on like again it's the scale becomes kind of meh whatever just because of like how much is going on in that last action sequence, but, like, at least setting it up like that gives us a sense of, like, how much bigger this one is than the other one. And this movie never does that very well. And it has... They introduce the, uh... The, the like, domestic Quote-unquote, domesticated Meg that they have at the beginning. That really felt like Chris Pratt and his Velociraptor. It did, yeah. With well, the clicking... Except even dumber and even less consequential. Yes. It's like they have this... They they introduce the beginning, they have like a Meg in captivity because they found it as like a pup or whatever and it was injured and they brought it back and they've been, you know, keeping it in this big uh, lake and studying it or whatever. And the love interest from the last one's brother, who's like the new head of the company thinks he has, like, a special bond with it because he raised it from, from like, an an infant. And, like, he's in the water and he's, like, trying to command it with, like, this little sonar clicky thing. And then it just, like, breaks out and goes down to the trench and is just, like, one of the three sharks wreaking havoc for the rest of the movie... And then, like, at the end, it's kind of like, okay, maybe it's, you know, maybe it is trained again because, like, it's about to chomp him. And he's like, no, I have my my little clicky thing. And he clicks it and it, like, doesn't eat him. Yeah. It's like, the, what is it? What was the what was the purpose of that? Yeah, that kind of fell flat for me. What was the what was the purpose? <laughs> Because, like, you know, there's the the moment after that, too, where, like, at the beginning where, 
you know, he's doing the, the clicky thing and like it tries to eat him and he just like barely escapes and like, oh yeah, you don't have a, you don't have a bond with that, you know, big nasty fish. And then like the little girl has the moment where she's like looking at it through the window and it's like looking at her and she's like, you just miss your mom, don't you? And it's like, oh, it's just like her because her mom is dead too. And it's like, okay, so the girl is going to somehow befriend the shark and it's going to, like, fight the bigger shark at the end to save to save her or something. Nope. You know, and nope. <laughs> and it's like, that would have been cool, but no. I mean, maybe it would have. Like, I don't know if it would have been cool, but, like, it does just feel like why bother to set that up if that's not what you're going to do? It's not like a subversion to not do it either. It just feels like abandoning something that yeah. you went out of your way to introduce. It's like setting up unutilized chess pieces. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like that... The, the the movie is all is already like two hours long. Like you could have cut that scene out and lost nothing, you know. Like I, it's just yeah. Why? <laughs> like so many things in this movie. Why? You know, one thing I was wanting more of in this movie is the trailer does a great job of like setting the tone with the the barracuda needle drop. Oh, we need to talk about the needle drops in this movie. It's very campy and over the top. But I was kind of wanting more needle drops in this movie. I felt like we didn't get a good one. I was certainly expecting more of the way they're doling them out in, like, the first ten minutes of the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, just some some weird needle drops. Like, when we... After the, the little... 65 million years ago thing when we're being reintroduced to Jason Statham it's to uh under pressure by David Bowie yeah. which like little on the nose but also I feel like kind of frustrating considering the sort of blase way that the film deals with the idea of water pressure that's this whole other thing but then the next the next needle drop is uh, Dare by the Gorillas. That was weird, yeah. Which is, like, great song. I love the Gorillas, and, and like, I do love Demon Days, but, like, where did that come from, man? Like, that that was Bizarre. such... That was such a strange needle drop. Like, that album is, like, fucking 15 years old, yeah. if not more. Like, that... <laughs> the, the end credits has, uh... That's not my name by the Ting Tings, but in Chinese. Yeah, well, they, um, that, that felt like a weird sort of like nod or callback to the first one because they do something similar with in the first one when we're reintroduced to Jason Statham where he's like drunk in Thailand, it's to a Thai cover of uh, of um, Mickey. Oh, Mickey, oh, yeah, you're so yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and, like, it's just weird, man. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I will say we left before listening to all of it, but the 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 closing credits 
Megalodon rap song. I'm gonna try. Yeah, I'm gonna. Fire. I'm gonna do my best to to find that song so I can put it as our our outro music. If not, I'll figure something else out. But like that song was wild. And you know what? Hey, props to them because as we've said a number of times. More movies need to get original songs for the credits, <laughs> yeah. like they used to, like, um, <laughs> like jigs or like spiral. like spiral. Yeah, you know. So I appreciated that. I'm I'm gonna try to find that, see if I can find that song. But it was really just like chop chop chop. I'm a megalodon. <laughs> <laughs> the song they are referring to is Chomp by Paige Kennedy who also plays the comedic relief character, DJ, in the film. <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, yeah, weird. I, I, I wonder who was, uh, who was the in charge of getting the songs for this movie. Because they, they did an interesting job. Yeah. <laughs> I won't say a good job, but they did an interesting job. They, they spent the money they were given. That's they, sure. they spent some money. That's, yeah, definitely. Um, how much do you, how much do you think Damon Albarn got for that 15 seconds of, enough, of dare? Honestly. Yeah, probably not. Um, before we wrap up and rate, I, I do want to talk quickly about the weird way this movie was colored by the recent, uh, what, what Discovery One? I think it was called the, the uh, ship implosion. Yeah, the the uh, Ocean Gate. Ocean, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, that that also that that's a perfect uh, pairing with um, the what I found was a kind of frustrating soft science of water pressure for <laughs> for a movie that spends like half of its runtime at the bottom of the ocean. Um, yeah. Well, I think about those images of James Cameron's uh, Deep Sea Challenger. Oh, yeah. It's like an underwater coffin, essentially. Yeah, basically. Like, it can only fit him, like, in, like, a almost corpse pose. Basically in the fetal position, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the video, like, the videos of him, like, talking about that sub that, like, he helped design, like really really fucking cool especially when you see in comparison to that fucking ocean gate sub that they built with like fucking uh expired carbon fiber that they bought <laughs> from like an airline that was you know controlled by the fucking mad cats controller that had like the porthole that was only rated for like 1400 meters and they were going down to like 4000 or something like that just like absolutely crazy did you see the that recently the owner of the company said they want to send uh people to like mars to venus, venus. yeah go for it <laughs> yeah, bro please absolutely please, please absolutely the, the the billionaires pack up pack up a hundred or more of earth's billionaires and send them to venus absolutely in <laughs> in a fucking space shuttle uh controlled by uh the duke the old xbox <laughs> controller uh, <laughs> i'm using tilt control <laughs> yeah yeah i want to i want to see them go to venus in a shuttle that's controlled by wiimotes <laughs> yeah with one of those mario kart steering wheels <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Like 
this this movie I feel like did make me kind of like hyper aware of like a lot of the the like the science of what it takes to go to that depth just because like the ocean gate thing is so fresh in like yeah. everybody's mind and you know like many like many people I also sort of like went down the rabbit hole of like what happens to the human body in a decompression event like what happened there and yeah, I mean it's just an implosion I like. mean literal like it's at that depth which was not even all the way down where they were trying to go what like the the force of that implosion would have basically atomized them like yeah. there would not have there would have maybe been like a misting of blood left, but, like, basically reducing them to their basest molecules yeah, through I mean, sheer like, force. Quick, painless death. Oh, I yeah, suppose. I mean, uh, honestly, probably one of the quickest and pain- most painless ways to go, but, like, just, like, the, the, the sheer force of that, I don't know, have you seen that video of, like, the crab that's, like, walking on that pipe, and there's, like, a hole in it, and the crab just gets, like, sucked into, like, this tiny, like, dime-sized hole. It's horrifying. Like, fucking water pressure is insane. And, like, this movie just has such... Again, as I've said many times... You can't ask too much from a movie like this. It is soft science all the way. Sure. But it does, like, it did stand out in such stark <laughs> contrast. Where, like, one one character even, like, they they get their, their helmet bit by one of the little dinos swimming underwater, and it, like, cracks it. It's like, first of all, as soon as that first crack appears, they would have been, like, reduced to the size of, like, a dime. Um, but... You know they have time to get inside the the underwater base, and they're trying to de they're trying to you know uh, decompress the chamber fast enough, but no, too late, and her helmet uh, implodes. But like, really, just like the glass just kind of caves in. I don't know what I'm expecting. Oh well, then when they have Jason Statham swim outside of the <laughs> of the station, and they're like. He's like, well, won't he be crushed by the pressure? And they're like, that's not how it works. You don't see fish having to wear metal suits. If he, All he has to do is fill his sinus cavities with water to equalize his pressure, and he'll be able to swim for like 30 to 40 seconds before he blacks out. Yeah, you see, he has a deviated septum. Yeah, and that'll yeah. help him. <laughs> that'll yeah, that'll help him flood his sinus cavities with water so his head so his skull isn't crushed. But, you know, making zero consideration for, you know, the air in his lungs. Uh <laughs> good like, thing he didn't get the bends. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's just it, the 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 fucking balls of the movie to straight up use the line that's not how it works before then doing something that is just like the definition of that's not how it works i i you know what respect i, I can respect it to a degree yeah man what else do we have to say about this movie? I'm kind of struggling to care yeah i don't have much more to say like again i think the biggest problem for me 
was it took them over an hour to get to Fun Island. Yeah. And, like, also, I want a movie that's just Fun Island. What? A, yeah, I mean, that's what I, I hope for when I go into any movie, is, is for Fun <laughs> Island. What a fucking, another, speaking of the balls on them, to just be like, yeah, we're introducing a set piece that's called Fun Island to let you know that the movie is about to finally get fun. It's like, here, this is the place where the fun happens. And not introducing it until over an hour into the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, okay, finally on Fun Island, things do indeed get fun. Finally. But they're also messy, and it's it's too little too late, I think. Yeah. We we should we you mentioned the the one of the main bad guys uh being killed in the trailer, which I do think is is maybe the best singular moment in the movie. Um because like he and Jason Statham are like squaring up to like fight on this like little dock or whatever, and some of his blood drips into the water and attracts the Meg, and Jason Statham just like roundhouse kicks him into its mouth and then uh delivers the best line of the movie See you later, chum. <laughs> <laughs> what a dumb one line. I thought it was the best one-liner. I thought it was the best line in the fucking movie. Sure, I mean, yeah. That's that a is low bar. That but... is a. I mean, yeah, low bar. But that is like a bona fide fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger ass one-liner. Sure, sure. Um, that is just like yeah, stupid, but it's like it is an appropriate shark pun. Yeah. And Jason Statham is British, so saying "chum" doesn't sound weird coming out of his mouth. Um, so yeah, that was that was. That was the best part of the movie. I mean, come on. You have Jason Statham on a jet ski with, like, explosive stakes that he's, like, throwing at Megs. Yeah, that was pretty fun. And that's that rules. But, like, again, it was shown in the trailer. And, like, like you said, it almost feels, like, too little too late in that, like... I wanted to have way more fun with that than I actually did. Yeah, because, like, again, I felt like I had really seen it. Like, the trailer shows off, like, the best part of that where he does, like, ramps off the wave as the Meg is, like, bursting out of the water at him in slow motion and, like, he, you know, throws the harpoon, the exploding harpoon into its head. It's like, I knew I knew I was going to get that because I saw it in the trailer. You know, I knew I was going to get the dude... I knew I was going to get him kicking the dude into the shark's mouth because that was in the trailer, you know? Uh, in fact, that, like, shot of him kicking the dude into the shark's mouth was, like, the little two, like, three-second ad for the movie that I've been seeing on Twitter for the last two weeks. Yeah. Just, well, like, constantly scrolling other, past it. the other villain where it's like, this is shark-proof glass. The Meg can't get to you. Yeah. And then immediately she just gets chomped. Yeah, the Meg the... comes right through the window yeah. and, and chomps her immediately. And that yep, also in the trailer. Like, it's it really is just like, yeah, he, here are all the best parts of the movie. Don't you want to come see if the rest of the movie is as good as this trailer? And yes, I did want to go see if the rest of the movie was as good as the trailer. No, the rest of the movie was not as good as the Sad trailer. Sad report. <laughs> Sadly, yeah. Ben, Ben Wheatley, you, uh, 
you biffed it on this one, my friend. I hope that you got paid enough that you can uh, make something that you care about next. Because um, you still have enough goodwill with me that I'm not willing to uh, write off your career just yet. But let's not make this a habit, bud. <laughs> Why don't you throw a rating on the end of that? <sighs> yeah, man. Um... Two and a half out of five, I guess. Like, it's not it's not unwatchable by any means. I was thinking when we were going into this that I was going to give it a three out of five. But honestly, like, we've spent an hour talking about how, like, dumb and frustrating the movie is. So, it loses half a star I mean, for that. That's pretty generous. I'm juggling between one and a half and two oh wow personally. okay um i'm gonna give it a you know what i am gonna give it a one and a half out of five okay. i think it's a pretty bad movie um not even the last bit can save it you know there are fun moments to be had but you get the same out of the trailer Honestly, I feel like they could have cut 45 minutes to an hour out of this movie and I wouldn't have missed anything. And that's that's bad. Yeah, I agree. Well, I know that you did not rewatch the first one um, before us going into this, but based off of your recollection, better or worse than the first one? Uh, worse. Worse. I feel like the second half of the first one, where it gets fun, like we were talking about, um, is more fun because they kind of do better with, like, the sense of scale with the Meg. And again, it's a little more focused, too, Like, I I think think of that shot with the Meg under all those, uh, people on, like, uh, floaty rings yeah inner tubes inner tubes yeah um and like the sense of scale is great there and like i will say even in the first half of the first meg i feel like they do a better job fleshing out characters where like they don't feel quite as one-dimensional as they do in this movie they still feel pretty flat they are but but, like, at least they have a little bit of texture there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the first one is is bizarrely a little bit more grounded, I think, to its benefit, maybe. I don't know. I wouldn't give the characters too much credit. But, yeah, I, I would agree that, that the first one, I think, is slightly better. One thing we forgot to mention that I will mention quickly is they brought the fucking dog back in this one. The same dog. The little one, the little yappy dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in the first one, they have the the part where they're, like, getting their wedding pictures taken on the boat, and the little dog jumps in the water swimming, and the shark's fin comes up, and it turns around and starts swimming back to the boat. They brought the same dog. It has the same name. It's the same woman who has it. It's swimming around in this one, too, and survives 
again. That I was confusing. I didn't register it as the, the well, same yeah, dog. That's hilarious. The only, the only, the only reason I registered it is because I literally watched the first one last <laughs> night. There are a number of points in this movie where they do like very clear callbacks to the first one, but I guarantee nobody who has not seen the first one within the last couple of days will recognize a single one of those callbacks. I did callbacks. think it was really funny. The dude had the big deagle. Yeah. And he was talking about how he uh, he had all the bu- bullets uh, poison-tipped, like in Jaws 2. Like in Jaws 2, yeah. Like, and it's like, whoa. okay, the Meg 2, Jaws 2, you're playing on sequels. That That's kind of cool. But also the poison-tipped bullets don't, he, like, that has no payoff. No, no, he it's says just that the, the Jaws 2 joke. Yeah. Why? Because the Meg 2? Whatever. Speaking of 2, the Meg 2 will receive an average of 2 out of 5 pods. So, yeah, I I certainly don't think you have to go uh, to the theater to see this one. The sequel is better. Go see Mathree again. Yeah, go see Mathree again. Um, before, Before we move on, did you know, I learned this today, did you know that these movies are based on a series of books. No, that's incredible. The first one, yeah, this is based on a series of books uh, by the American author Steve Alton. The first one came out in 1997. Meg, a novel of deep terror. <laughs> how many How many sequels? Oh, I'm guessing at do least you think, like six. Do you think there are? Close. Seven. Jeez. Would you like to hear the titles of the sequels? please. Please, I want to know. Okay, so the first one, like I said, Meg, colon, a novel of deep terror. The second one, The Trench. Okay. 1999. The third one, Meg, Primal Waters, 2004. The fourth one, Meg, Hell's Aquarium, 2009. (laughs) Then in 2011, we get Meg, Origins. In 2016, Meg, Night Stalkers. In in 2020, two years after the first movie came out, mind you, we got Meg, Generations. And then this year, (laughs) this very year, in 2023, we got Meg, Purgatory. Oh, man. They should just skip all the others and make the next one Meg Jump Purgatory. right to Meg Purgatory. Yeah. Do you think do you think this film franchise will have the same longevity? Do you think they're gonna be able to get that many sequels out of it? I don't. I don't think this has any fucking legs, man. I really especially You know like, what? I I, I really can't believe the second no, one got made. But I will say like shark movies are like fodder for like directed tv that's true you know shit movies so like they could easily like just turn this into like a uh as like micro budget sort of like mega shark you know franchise okay if they if they do get all the way up through the existing number of books which presumably at some point will be straight to to streaming vod only no theatrical release how how many of the movies do you think they'll be able to keep Jason Statham for? Oh, I think he if they go to VOD like I think he's gone the second they're out of the theater. Yeah. 
And here's my follow-up question. Of the existing characters, who do you think is this franchise's Michael Gross? Who's the one who hangs on and becomes the protagonist of the series and is there for for the rest of them? Oh, I think it's the black comedic relief character. I was going to say the exact you know same thing. We He's are on the same wavelength. my favorite character in the movie. Though I, th- I, I weirdly feel like his character is kind of racist yes totally absolutely he's he is like he is like the same kind of stereotype that like fucking ll cool j is in deep blue sea (laughs) you know um i i could actually see i i think you're absolutely right like he'll definitely hang on but i think the other the other guy the kiwi guy will too i could see them doing a buddy thing See, I think I think the kid could as well, and sh- that just becomes her whole thing. Ooh, I hope like, not for her as sake. As she grows up, like she's like, okay, well, I'm I'm getting work still. Yeah, she just continues to be the face of the Meg. Well, bleak, bleak waters for this franchise ahead. <laughs> if it if it does go past this one, we you know obviously we're we're seeing it on pretty much opening night, so we don't have box office uh, numbers um, for it yet. So we'll get that next week. I can't imagine it's going to do great. Probably not. It'll probably com- do amazing in China. It's competing with a lot. Yeah, it probably will at least make its money back in China. Um, but speaking of box office, I do want to talk about some box office numbers for Talk to Me, yes. which we talked about last week. Cause Maybe we did not predict because... We- um, we didn't know. We didn't know. We didn't it. know. Um, but you know, we were talking about. You know, we were speculating on whether it was going to be like successful. You know, whether it was going to do well. And I'm very pleased to to report that it did do very well. Um, it had an opening weekend of ten million dollars domestically, which doesn't sound like a lot, but its budget was like four and a half million, so it more than doubled its budget in opening weekend, which great. And I saw also, which I find kind of surprising, but it surpassed Hereditary as the highest grossing uh A twenty four distributed film on opening weekend. Had the best opening weekend of any A twenty four. That's crazy. Which is which is crazy, but hey, Good for talk to me. I'm glad. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Well, they also announced that they had already shot a prequel. Which I'm less excited about. Um, You know, this is like the opposite feeling I had to when Ty West said he had Pearl in the can. Yeah. I feel like I'm kind of dreading any additional talk to me movies. Even though I really enjoyed talk to me. Like the the prospect of more, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, about we that one. yeah, we did talk about that on the episode, and I I'm totally with you. And what I really didn't like hearing was that this prequel that they've already shot is first of all focuses around a character that we didn't even really talk about in our review that is just like basically the setup of the film is like a guy who like kills himself at a party who like had the hand before yeah. uh you know our our protagonist gets it so the prequel is about him which first of all why do I give a shit 
And second of all, didn't they say that it is uh, they they did it like unfriended style, where the entire movie is like from the perspective of like phone recordings and like the and like the internet and shit. Yeah, which ah, man. I just I don't need a prequel to talk to me. I really don't. I really don't. So we'll see if that ever sees the light of day. I, considering how successful it has been, I think we'll we may see it before the year is out, uh, oh, <laughs> um, no. or maybe early next Please, year. No. Please no. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. You know, with the the writers and actors strike going on, I think the likelihood that that comes out in theater is way higher than it would be in normal times. Oh yeah, so. absolutely, absolutely. Although I did see that um A24 is actually able to still uh use actors and writers during the strike because they agreed to all of the the uh the union's conditions. Yeah, I saw that too. Good for them. Yeah, I mean, great on A24 not fighting being like, yeah, absolutely that all makes sense and they're they are immune from from the strike basically i mean so like i feel like everybody wins in that scenario it feels really smart to me to be the one studio to go with that yeah because suddenly you have way less competition yeah way less competition and way better reputation among actors and writers and you and you have your fucking pick of people who are otherwise unemployed, right? Because they yeah. can't work for the other studios because they're striking. So, you know, I I think that I think that that's dope. Um, yeah. So we will see. But um, looking ahead, I think that this this movie really feels like sort of the uh, the limp flopping fish on the dock. That is the end of the Summer of Bo. And, you know, Summer of Bo started with a bang, kind of fell into a slump. You know, there's some ups and downs. But now we're looking ahead into a new season. It's the season of Boat Dracula. (laughs) The Demeter season. That's right. We're coming into the season of Boat Dracula. Next week, it's it's time for uh the last voyage of the demeter the world is a vampire the world the world is a vampire and you know what i am choosing to remain optimistic about this movie i'm a little afraid that it's going to have the same problem as the meg 2 where the trailer shows everything because who boy they sure have been showing a lot in all of the trailers um but i think this movie looks kind of bad but you know that might be something in its benefit because I, I'm going in with rock bottom expectations. I think you are certainly right to assume that this movie could be bad. <laughs> I I think you are a hundred percent correct. I again am choosing to remain optimistic for Boat Dracula. Um, it can't be worse than Morbius, can it? Yeah, we'll see. The monkey's paw curls. <laughs> we'll find out next week when we talk about Last Voyage of the Demeter. Uh, Cleveland should be back with us for that one. Um, so we'll we'll have the whole squad back together. Well, I guess that'll that'll do it for us this week. If you like the show, leave us a, a five star rating and a review 
on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podpeoplepod. Shout out to our honorary pod boys, Sam, Zach, and Micah. You can be like them by joining the Patreon, getting in the Discord, and come and hang out with us. You can follow us on letterbox.com slash podpeoplepod, where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. Uh, for my For our recommendations, my recommendation this week... I'm going to do another book. I'm doing two books back-to-back just because we we talked about a movie that has a lot of underwater stuff. I want to recommend the book The Deep by Nick Cutter, which I read recently, um, recommended to me by our honorary pod boy Micah. Um, It's really good. That is some some true deep-sea horror. Uh, So if you saw The Meg and were frustrated by uh how boring the bottom of the ocean seems read the deep <laughs> for my recommendation i'm gonna recommend an aquatic horror movie um watch the the entire piranha series piranha the original directed by joe dante piranha 2 directed by our boy james cameron and uh, Piranha the Remake 3D, directed by Alexandra Eja. All of them are excellent, excellent movies. But Ben, you're leaving out Piranha 3 Double D. Oh, that one doesn't exist. <laughs> okay. I refuse to, to admit that that exists. Well, if you don't acknowledge it, then I won't acknowledge it either, because I haven't seen it, and as far as I'm concerned... It doesn't need to exist. Oh, it's it's a spot on the excellent resume of the others. Yeah, well, I mean, I can certainly second the recommendation of Piranha 3D, which is the only one I've seen. We did cover it on the podcast yes, very early on, uh, a little over five years ago. Uh, so you can go back and listen to that episode. I, w- I would say Piranha 3 Double D is the equivalent of if they gave the fourth mission impossible movie to like yuva bowl oof yeah i mean after the pedigree of the first three yeah and their directors i mean know. in fairness the fourth mission impossible movie is directed by brad bird which i but feel it's like in ghost protocol yeah maybe we... arguably one of the best no, it's one of the worst. Really? It's one of the worst. It, it's been a long time since it's I've not, seen it. It's not bad. By none of those movies are bad, um, but the only memorable scene is when Tom Cruise scales the Burj Khalifa, I mean, which is great. Doesn't Jeremy Renner have a a notable role in that one? He does. <laughs> our friend jeremy anyway uh we don't need to dig into the mission impossible franchise right at the end of this episode thanks for listening this week we were in the water next week we're on top of the water on a boat with dracula chomp chomp like a make the dawn yeah chomp 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 on it I'm an apex predator, ain't nothing regular, nobody better than Donna. Chomp, 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 chomp on this. I'm an apex predator, ain't nothing regular, nobody better than Donna. Yeah, I'm on my way and I'm hiding out in the dark. 
seeing no part of me is gonna stop biting to the artery is hardly repairable unbearable be careful not a werewolf i'm making vested terrible and i dare you to have a jump with both feet no sleep for the dopey a dope gets me op i hope he gets firehead like op i know he'll get ripped apart slowly and i'm taking off and i'm glad to do an infernal kind to rip out through that thermal climb i'm here and i'm a jump 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 on this i'm an apex predator ain't nothing regular 